If you're joining us today for the very first time, welcome to New Life Midtown. What a joy and a pleasure it is to have you worshiping the Lord with us on this Sunday morning. I see a lot of familiar faces. I see a lot of new faces. And if you are new, I, I hope to get to meet you and connect with you either after this service or sometime in the few weeks that are following at one of our New Life Next guest luncheons. I hope to meet you there. We have uh, several announcements that we'll hit at the end of service, but let me, let me just kind of lock in and let's jump in to the word, okay? We've been in a series in the book of Nehemiah now. By the way, I missed you guys last week. I listened to Pastor Jonathan's message. What a good, timely, healing, perspective-granting message, Jonathan. Chrissy listened to it later in the week, and she texted me, and she says, he just keeps getting better and better and better and better which is pretty amazing because his starting point was already really high. We just, we esteem you so highly, Jonathan. And I just say, man, let your gift continue to grow and shine in this house and beyond in Jesus' name. So today we're going to be camping out in Nehemiah chapter four. We'll be shooting out into Nehemiah chapter six a little bit. Next week, Pastor Jonathan is going to preach from Nehemiah chapter three. So this is going to feel feel maybe a little out of order, but it's, it's not really because you have to read Nehemiah 3 and 4 as happening kind of at the same time. So there's a lot of organization and administration on the assignment of the people who are building and rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem that we find in Nehemiah chapter 3. In Nehemiah chapter 4, we run into opposition. And so today what I want to do, church, is I want to activate something in you. I want to impart a fire in your belly I want to equip you to fight the enemy. I want to equip you to learn how to resist opposition because every assignment of God will face opposition. When God calls you to do great things, even when God calls you to just do normal, menial, seemingly mundane things in the earth, you will experience opposition. How many of you would say even like right now in this season of your life, you might find yourself in a season of opposition, it feels like. Anybody? I just want to know who I'm talking to. How many of you have lived the Christian life long enough to know that you have experienced opposition to the plans and the purposes and the will and the work of God in your life? Let me see hands. Every hand in the room should be thrown up right now. Okay, so I'm going to read the entire chapter of Nehemiah chapter 4. It's a powerful chapter. There's a lot of movement. It kind of reads like an action, like an action movie. And uh, read along with me, if you would, in Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. When Sanballat, he's the, 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 the villain of our story. He's the bad guy. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, pay attention to some of these words, he became angry, number one, and greatly incensed. So not just angry, He became angry and you could say he was enraged. He was furious just over the fact that he heard that we were rebuilding the wall. And here's my theory about this. Some some scholars believe that Sanballat and Tobiah and some of the other kind of leaders that were surrounding Jerusalem were actually profiting over the fact that Jerusalem was in ruins and that it was destroyed. I would agree with that, but I would also add a dimension. I think that there's something utterly demonic that's going on. Why in God's name, Sam Ballot, are you so utterly enraged? You're not just angry. Like there is a demonic fury that's going on inside of you at the fact that the purposes of God are being done for the glory of God. And there's something in you that just cannot stand that. So let's keep reading here, verse 2. And in the present, he ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish? In a, let's just listen to the condescension, the demeaning, mocking tone of this spirit of Sanballat. Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite. This is like his little sidekick. This is like LeFou. <laughs> Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, <laughs> What are they building? <laughs> Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones, Gaston. <laughs> I mean, just like, 
Tobiah, you're a clown. Who is Tobiah? Give me a break. So look at Nehemiah's response. Love this. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. His first response isn't to counter. His first response isn't to fight, to take up arms, to defend himself. It's not to pull out his letter from Artaxerxes and say, hey, listen, pal, listen, you don't even know. He just says, listen, my first response when the enemy comes against me and speaks lies and slanders my character and disparages my name, here's my first response. I'm going to go into the secret place of God. I'm going to lock eyes with my father, and I'm going to cry out to him and say, hey, dad, look at what they're saying and listen to what they're doing about us. That's, that's, that's your first point, you guys. You want to do spiritual warfare? You want to fight against the enemy? Go run into the shelter of the Most High and let the power of God defend you from the assignment and the attack of the enemy. Sometimes you need to recognize and discern you don't have to say a word at all. We find this in Peter's epistles when he says that Jesus was led away and they hurled insults at him, and he didn't retaliate like a sheep led to the slaughter. He remained silent, trusting that God would vindicate him. Our trust in the power of God is most put on display whenever we are being unjustly attacked by the enemy. Continuing in verse 4, turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Verse 6, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Jonathan's going to take that theme, and he's just going to ride that next week. The people worked with all their hearts. Some translations say, for the people had a mind to work. Some translations say, so they were committed with all of their heart and with all of their will, they worked enthusiastically. Isn't that powerful? It's amazing what can happen for the kingdom of God when we can throw away our petty differences and our trivial opinions and we can actually give ourselves fully to the greater work by giving ourselves to the individual work that God has called each and every one of us uniquely to do. Verse 7, but when Sanballat, Tobiah, now we have the Arabs and we have the Ammonites And we have the people of Ashdod. By the way, what's happening here is all of the surrounding geographical regions of Jerusalem, Sambalat's recruiting these guys. So they are literally being surrounded by their enemies. Surrounded by real physical enemies. Look at what Sambalat's response is. That's fine. Go into your little prayer closet. Go ahead and lift up your voice. But here's what we're going to do. When he heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, there are some translations say that the gaps were being healed, that the holes in the borders of defense of Jerusalem were being healed. And when I read that, I think about holes in our marriages that are being healed. I think about husbands going to a men's retreat and getting a revelation from God and coming down the mountain and saying, I'm going to heal the holes around my children. I'm going to heal the holes around our intimacy. I've let things creep into the borders of my marriage and I'm going to come down the wall and I'm going to repair the breach. And I'm going to stand in the low places and I'm going to heal them. And you need to know this. When you decide to stand into the gap around your life and your mind and your heart and your marriage and your family and your singleness and your destiny and your work and the people at your school, when you said, I will be a repairer of the breach, the enemy does not like it, church. It infuriates him. Look at this language. When he heard that the gaps were being closed, here he is again. He's got an anger issue. They were very angry. Look at verse 8. But we prayed. Oh, that's verse 9. Verse 8. So they all plotted together. Look at this. Look at this alliance. You need to know that demonic spirits, they don't just work alone. They don't just work alone. They work in alliance. Spirits of offense work with spirits of independence work with spirits of violence and rage. Like they all begin, they start to form alliances which create these nasty webs that keep us 
from moving forward in the purposes of God. They plotted together to come fight and to stir up trouble against us. So it's not enough that they physically oppose us. Now they're running around and they're slandering our name and they're stirring up trouble in the surrounding nations against us and against the purposes of God for our lives. Anybody experienced that before? Verse 9, but we prayed to our God, but we prayed, and we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. So he didn't just pray. He realized, okay, there's something serious that's going on here. There's a real, literal, physical threat against our lives, and so I'm going to post guards to make sure that we're safe. Now, you could apply that to your own life and say there are seasons in your life when you know you're in a season of warfare, like there have been seasons in my 30 years of walking with God that I just can pop up and go, okay, hold on. This is, the enemy is showing his cards right now. The enemy will always overplay his hand. You ever, you ever had that feeling like, you know, when it rains, it pours, or some of you guys will say things like that. You'll say like, oh, of course, of course that's happening, right? Because it just seems like it's one thing after the other. Some of that might be circumstantial, Some of that might be the enemy trying to resist you, oppose you, discourage you, dissuade you, and get you off track. And so when you start connecting those dots, very simply just pop up and just go, I think think the enemy is at work here. I think there are spirits that are plotting against my forward movement in God. There have been times throughout my journey, particularly when I was working with youth and with young adults, I've seen this happen over and over and over again. And it blew my mind when I became a senior pastor working with adults and I saw the same strategies of the enemy at play where you'll see somebody begin to get some momentum in God and then this relationship comes along. Guys, I'm telling you, it's like foolproof. It's like, bro, don't you have any more weapons in your arsenal? He's like, why do I? This one works every time. Like if I can bring a counterfeit relationship, either the wrong relationship or a premature relationship, could be a business partner, could be a romantic relationship, could be, it doesn't matter what it is, just some relationship surfaces up in someone's life and all of a sudden that momentum is stopped. That affection, that desire for God begins to grow cold. And before you know it, they're not even fellowshipping with the body anymore and they've been pulled away. Guys, I'm telling you, I've seen it happen again and again and again. When you find yourself in a season of attack, you've got to post guards. Like you have to become the watchman on the wall of your own heart. Scripture tells us in Isaiah that he has posted watchmen who will raise their voices When alarm and threat come to the people of Israel, you have to become the watchman over your life. There's there's seasons where we have to increase our vigilance. Are you hearing me today, church? All right, let's keep reading. We're going to get through chapter 4. God help us. Verse 10, meanwhile, the people in Judah said, now this is interesting. We have the people, we have the enemies, and we have the Jews. Look at verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. There is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Like imagine being Nehemiah right now. You're a parent. You're you're someone who's kind of the leader of your home. Maybe you're a pastor. You're a leader in school. You're carrying some kind of burden and the people that you're working with, they're all about to revolt. They're tired. They've hit their limits. That's the first thing that comes up against Nehemiah. The second thing in verse 11, also our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to the work. Now, like they're just upping the ante. We're not only gonna fight you, we're not only gonna stir up trouble against you, but we're going to sneak in like little ninjas and be, you won't even know we're there. And listen, we're going to kill you and we're going to put an end to this work. Like listen to the voice of intimidation coming against Nehemiah and the work of God. Verse 12, then the Jews who live near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Are you getting the picture here of how serious this attack is that's coming against Nehemiah, this singular figure who has decided to carry the burden of the Lord for four or five months. 
He's decided to go before King Artaxerxes. He's decided to boldly and audaciously ask for resources and provision and permission. He surveys the walls in the night. He organizes all the people. And before they even get momentum, the enemy is right there saying, I'm going to kill you. I don't like what you're doing. You need to stop it. Verse 13, therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. I posted them by families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Verse 14, this is where things turn and get really awesome. After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, I said to the officials, and I said to the rest of the people, I just have like this William Wallace scene running through my head right now. I mean, look at this. This, this, this guy is a boss. Nehemiah stands up and he says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families. Fight. But if that's not the spirit of William Wallace, I do not know what is. Why do you run? We run. So we live. I run. And you may live at least for a little while. Okay, I gotta just I gotta I gotta dial that back. <laughs> Fight and you may die, run and you may live. Okay. I wanna walk you through I wanna walk you through so the rest of Nehemiah chapter four, going into chapter six, I wanna talk with you for a few minutes about recognizing the enemy's tactics. The enemy has tact he's not very creative. Again, he just uses the same things over and over and over again because they work. So I'm going to just walk through a couple of these. We find in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1, and then again in verse 7, that Sanballat is angry. What is that? Anger and manipulation and control are a tactic of the enemy. You ever interacted with someone, and whenever there's a disagreement, whenever you guys don't see eye to eye, whenever you have an idea that maybe they didn't like, and all of a sudden you're just hit with this crazy anger? Right? It's a form of manipulation. It's a form of control. Like, and this is, this, is, this is viral out in the world right now. It's like we're not even allowed as people of God to have a different perspective on issues that pertain to our children. Issues that, 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 that pertain to healthy social functioning. And the danger here is that if we try to fight that spirit of anger and manipulation and control with a spirit of anger, manipulation, and control, you cannot fight anger with anger in God. You can't. You're not going to produce the fruit of life by fighting anger with anger. You've got to find a different way, church. You've got to be able... Now, I'm not saying you can't have a holy righteousness and a holy anger inside of you for the, the, the breaches in the wall in our society. Like there are things that I see, guys, and there's a, there's a holy anger, but sometimes I have a hard time discerning, is this just me being angry or is this a holy anger inside of me? I don't know. I've got, to, I've got to get with God and I've got to get into the word and the presence and the spirit of God to be able to discern. And here's one of the ways that you'll find this out. Is my anger leading to and producing life? Or is it just being sent out against my quote-unquote enemies to shame them and oppose them and to win arguments and to be the better person? Right? This takes a massive amount of discernment in this hour. Here's another tactic of the enemy. We find this in Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Listen to the way that Sam Ballot talks about Nehemiah and the work that they're doing. Look at these verses again, starting with verse two. And in the presence of his associates, he says, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? He's just so condescending. And this is a tactic of the enemy, right? If you're not moved by his anger and his intimidation, well, then he'll just poke you with sarcasm. He'll mock you. He'll ridicule you. And some of us, we use these tactics in our marriages, some of us, we use these tactics with our children. We just slip into to sarcasm. I call this dark humor. Like we don't have the courage to speak the truth in love. So we use the substitute for speaking the truth in love. Do you know what the substitute is? It's called sarcasm and mockery. And it's, and it's, it's, it's the coward's language. 
And I know some of us are like, oh, you know, sarcasm. It's like my, it's like my next love language, right? It's just an excuse. Like, you know, what's one of my spiritual gifts is sarcasm, right? There's good humor, there's wit, there's cleverness, and then there's the substitute for speaking the truth in love. Say what you need to say. Wrestle it to the ground. Like, confront somebody, but do it in love and do it in a spirit of humility and grace. Don't use all these sideways things, right? There's something going on in Sambalat here that he feels like he's got to send all these sideways threats out to Nehemiah because he's a coward. At the end of the day, Sambalat and Tobiah are cowards. All right, let's look at some other tactics right here. Partnerships and alliances, they plotted together against Nehemiah. Distractions, this is a really good one. Go with me to Nehemiah chapter six. This one right here is probably the most uh, relevant of Satan's tactics against you. Nehemiah chapter six, verse one. When the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Hey, come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Oh, no, you don't. (laughs) But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I love this. And you need to adopt this. I am carrying on such a great project that I cannot go down. Why should the work stop and I leave it to come down to you? Verse four, four times they sent the same message. You have to recognize when the enemy's coming at you just to distract you. Like that mental video that you keep playing through your head where you keep visiting that same moment of conflict over and over again, where you find yourself in these verbal battles and you emerge as the victor, that's a distraction. When you have a a meeting with your supervisor, when you have an issue with your children and you know you have to talk about it and all you can do is just ruminate on how poorly that meeting's gonna go, that's a distraction. When someone says, hey, can we get together for coffee? And all of a sudden you're thrown into an emotional tailspin. That's a distraction. It's a distraction of the enemy. It's a tactic of the enemy. Learn to recognize when, again, when you are about the work of the Lord, recognize when he's trying to just take your eyes off of what you're doing. Some of you are doing some good works. You're doing some good works right now. Don't be lulled to sleep by the distractions of the enemy. You guys have heard me harp on all the social stuff that's out there, all the digital devices. I'm not going to go there right now, but learn to recognize distractions. There's internal distractions, mental distractions, emotional distractions, distractions to our time, distractions to our heart, our affections, our loves. Like recognize when the enemy is trying to pull your focus your attention, and your affection off of God and off of the work that is before you. Let's take a look right here. Uh, Threats and intimidation. Look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 11 again. Nehemiah 4, 11. Also our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill you. That's a tactic of the enemy. It's intimidation. I'm just trying to power up to get you to walk in fear. All right, last tactic of the enemy. This one's a little bit more subtle. It's in Nehemiah chapter six again. Nehemiah chapter six, let's take a look at verse 10. We're gonna read verses 10 through 13. This one right here boils my blood a little bit, probably because I've experienced it. One day, I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. And he said, let us meet in the house of God. Just pay attention to how many people are trying to get Nehemiah's time. Come on, let's meet. Let's meet. Like one of the most difficult things that I have as a pastor is learning to manage and navigate all the requests for meetings. Like, Lord, am I supposed to take this? Am I not? Am I supposed to delay this? What's urgent? What's right? What's not? Who do I, who do I delegate to? Who do I not? If I don't meet with them, will they, will they be offended? If they're offended and all of a sudden, before I know it, I'm thrown into an emotional and mental tailspin. And I'm not saying that anybody in this church has negative intentions. I'm just saying that, that we, we can be operating in the schemes of the enemy without even knowing it. That's right. Now, these guys knew it. 
And they were saying, oh man, let's, let's, all the threats, all the intimidation, all the fears not working. Let's, let's change our plan. Nehemiah, want to go grab coffee? I'll just gobble up your time with demand after demand after demand after demand. And listen, some good things are not God things. Some of you right now are justifying the fact that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, but you're justifying with the fact that you're doing good things. And a good thing is still sin if it's not the God thing that he's asked you to do in this season. We just need wisdom. We need discernment. And we need a heart of the fear of the Lord that says, God, I'll be obedient to you even when it's difficult. So here's this man, he's asking to meet with Nehemiah. And he says, let us meet in the house of God. This is, this is spiritual manipulation and abuse. I hope you guys can see through this. Let's meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because, Nehemiah, men are coming to kill you. Be careful of people who seem to be your friend on the outside but secretly they're carrying motives against you. That's right. Hey, Nehemiah, I'm your pal. I'm your bud. Let's meet in the house of God and then close the doors. And it's the same spirit of intimidation. It's just the tenor of the voice is a little bit different. It's not strong and loud and angry and defiant. It's Nehemiah, they're coming to kill you. Dude, I love Nehemiah's response. I may preach this at men's retreat. Look at verse 11. But I said, should a man like me run away? Oh, you got to say it like that. You got to put that look on your face. <laughs> should a man like me? Should a, man, should a woman like me? Should a child of God like me run away from these intimidations and these threats? Verse 12, I realized that God had not sent him. I realized, friends, when I read that verse weeks ago, preparing for this message, I began praying that a spirit of discernment would come upon you. A spirit of discernment to recognize people that seem like they are alliances who are actually threats. People who have been sent to sow discord and fear and division into my soul and into my life. We need discernment to recognize, look at, look at what he says. I realize God hasn't sent you. God hasn't sent you. Sorry, let's talk here for a few minutes before we come to the table. All right, so we see all these different tactics and there's more. First Corinthians chapter two, verse 10 and 11 tells us, listen, the enemy has schemes against us. One of his schemes is unforgiveness. This is what Paul is addressing in first Corinthians chapter two. The scheme, the plot, the wicked devices of the enemy are traps. And this is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 11, he goes, we are not unaware, we're not ignorant of the schemes of the enemy that he should outwit us. All right, so you need to be praying, God, give me wisdom to recognize when the enemy is at work in my life. Oh, yeah. You need wisdom, you need discernment. But let's go back to uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14. There's three phrases here that have been lodged in my spirit they're like an anthem when I read these. They leapt off the page. This is Nehemiah's brave heart speech. There's three things that he says. Number one, he says, don't be afraid of them. Say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Number two, he says, remember the Lord. Say, remember the Lord, remember who is great and awesome. And this is the, uh, then he says, fight for your families. Amen. Say, fight for your families. Amen. All right, so here it is right here. Here's the message. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. Fight for your families. Don't be afraid, remember the Lord, fight for your families. Don't be afraid, remember the Lord, fight for your families. Don't be afraid, remember the Lord, fight for your families. So I like you could just say that when you feel like the enemy's coming against you. You can just rise up in Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 14, just rise up. Don't be afraid, remember the Lord, fight for your families. All right, so let's talk about the first one. Don't be afraid. You realize that one of the most often used phrases throughout the entire scripture is don't be afraid. Over and over and over again from the Old Testament to the New, you see God constantly visiting people and telling them, don't be afraid. Fear not, don't be afraid, fear not. And listen, this is not a suggestion. So we have to wrestle with this a little bit because when God shows up, let's, let's just say Joshua, Joshua chapter one, verses seven through nine. 
right? Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth and meditate on it day and night so that you'll be prosperous and have great success in everything that you do. And oh, by the way, Joshua chapter one, verse nine, do not be afraid. Be strong and very courageous and don't be afraid because the Lord your God is with you. So a couple of thoughts here on this. Number one, very simply is, this is a command. And when God commands something, there is a grace and an anointing for the willing heart to step into obedience. I'll say that again. Everything that God commands you, there is a grace to obey it. If you say yes to the grace, you can walk in obedience. You can resist temptation. You can overcome your enemies. You can have faith because every command that God has given to you, there is a grace to obey when your heart says yes. Do not be afraid. Friends, fear is a spirit. Fear exists in the realm of the mind and the imagination. Fear is a liar. Fear is a liar. Now, there may very well be real threats, real possibilities, But what the spirit of fear wants to do is he wants to take real situations and he wants to spin them out to their worst possible case scenario and move us into a place of paralysis where we can't feel and we can't move forward and we can't can't take a step and we can't say the name of Jesus. Like fear, that that is fear's job is to hold you in place, is to get you stuck, is to keep you from moving forward. Look at Psalm 27 verses one through three, powerful Psalm. And by the way, for those of you, I'm not gonna ask you to show your hands, but I know that there's some of us, some of it's based on personality, some of it's based on previous life experiences, some of it's based on things we've opened up our spirits and our souls and our minds to, some of it's based on trauma. But listen, a spirit of fear is a very real thing. And some of us wrestle with this more than others. Some of us, our personality is prone to participating with fear, right? And if you know that that's you, friend, the best thing that I can do is not just try to hype you up. It's like send you into the word and meditate on the enduring character and nature of God until the spirit of fear is broken off of your life. By the way, let me just say this. At some point, we need to talk about the spiritual authority that you and I have as sons and daughters in God. Because when you don't recognize your authority, you're going to get taken advantage of and you're going to get abused. You have an authority in God given to you by Jesus, inherent within the name of Jesus and the person and presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Fear is a trespassing illegally in your life. And you have the authority in the name of Jesus to say, fear, listen to me. I command you to go in the name of Jesus. When our kids were little, they'd run into our room and say, you know, mommy, daddy, I'm, I'm afraid of X, Y, and Z. And we'd comfort them. We'd bring grace and compassion. But then we realized if we don't equip you to deal with this, then you are going to be a prisoner and a victim to fear your entire life. So at at an early age, friends, three, four, five years old, we say, okay, repeat after me. Say, fear, fear, go, go in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, all right? And then we would like, just say it, say it with a growl. Fear, fear, right? Scrunch your nose, scrunch your nose, my line. Fear, (laughs) you go. And like, you have to point, you go in Jesus' name. And friends, you say it until breakthrough comes. You take, those, you take those arrows and you strike the ground until breakthrough comes in your life. Amen. Because listen to me, we're going to get there when he talks about fight for your families. There's more at stake than just your, you having a good night of sleep. Yeah. Right? The destiny of people that are connected to you is at stake on whether or not you allow fear to become the victor in your life or you take the weapons of your warfare and the authority that God has granted to you and you obliterate fear. Like fear is not allowed anywhere in my home. You're a trespasser and you've got to get violent with that thing. Are you hearing me today? Like the spirit of freedom and righteousness inside of you can well up and be strong and be violent with anything that is trying to steal the destiny of God from your life. 
Psalm 27, verse 1, the scripture says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? It's a rhetorical question. It means nobody. No one has the authority to thwart or take out the purposes of God in your life. I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced of it. Jeremiah, before you were ever formed in your mother's womb, I knew you, I saw you, I dreamed about you, I thought about you, I set you apart, and I appointed you, and the only one who could, who could deal with that or mess that up is you. But if you've given your heart over into, a, into the alignment with my purposes, you've set yourself up underneath the canopy of my protection, and there is no force in hell or in, in, hell or in the earth that is going to take out the purposes of God on your life. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? Look at verse two. The Lord, or still in verse one, part B. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. And again, he asks, of whom shall I be afraid? Friends, get that in your spirit. Get that in your spirit. Memorize that. Like, and don't just memorize, pray it. Like decree that thing. Let that well up inside of you and come out of your mouth with force. And with a holy violence, let it come out of your spirit, man. Look at verse two. When the wicked advance against me, it's not if the wicked advance. The wicked will advance against your life. They will. We should not think it's strange that the enemy opposes like proper gender, proper sexuality. Like we, should, we shouldn't go, oh my gosh, like don't think that's strange. The purposes of the enemy are to attack and pervert and corrupt what is good and holy and beautiful and lovely in God. When the enemy advances against me, this is why you need to know how to fight. This is why you need to know how to oppose the powers of darkness. When the enemy advances against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me, even then will I be confident. Pastor Seth sang this song earlier this morning. You silence fear and all shame. Friends, listen to me. When you sing, there are so many things that are happening. Okay, we're not, we're not, this is not the, the primer. This is not the warm up to the word. Will you silence fear and all shame? <laughs> like sometimes you'll see me down here and you'll see that little hand right there. You know what that hand is? That's my warfare hand. That's my breakthrough hand. That's me punching through walls of resistance, right? Get that, right? When we clap our hands, there's a reason why when God anointed the people of Israel to walk around the wall of Jericho, they didn't walk, they, they were silent, they were silent, they were letting something build up inside of them. But on the last day when the walls came down, what happened, friends? They blew their trumpets, they clapped their hands, they lifted up their voice in a shout. And so right now, every religious paradigm that's ever been spoken to you or put on you that says, hey, to be a good Christian, we're just quiet and we don't like, don't be like those crazy fanatical ones. Listen, there are some things when you get desperate enough, you'll get loud. You get loud. When you get, when you want something badly enough, don't tell me to be quiet, right? Blind Bartimaeus is sitting on the corner and Jesus is passing by. Son of David, have mercy on me. Shh, Quiet quiet. Listen, have you lived blind your entire life? Have you lived without breakthrough your entire life? Are you going to fight for my marriage? You're going to tell me to be quiet. Are you going to fight for my marriage? Are you going to fight for my kids strung out on drugs? If not, then shut your mouth. Son of David, have mercy on me. At the end of the day, it's between you and God and you fighting for the purposes of God in your life and in your family and the people that you're connected with, friends. Don't shrink back. Don't shrink back. Because I promise you, those people that are telling you to be quiet, they're not going to be the ones sitting up out all, all night on, on the outside of a jail cell with your kid. They're not going to be there. So you might as well go ahead and get your breakthrough. You might as well go ahead and press into God. You might as well go ahead and fight for your freedom and the freedom of your future generations. Or out of time. Come on up. 
We still got two more points and we'll get to those next time. I don't know who, I don't even know who to call on anymore. Hello, Aaron. Come on, guys. Stand with me to your feet this morning. Communion attendants are coming forward. Friends, you need to learn how to fight. You need to learn how to discern. Right? You are in a spiritual battle every day of your life. And the enemy doesn't like you. He hates everything about you. And his sole purpose of existence is to keep you broken, is to keep you wounded, is to keep you in trauma, is to keep you ignoring reality. His sole existence is to keep you dysfunctional, is to keep you paralyzed, is to pervert you, and everything that your influence can touch, friends. That is the purpose of the enemy. All right? So do you, you might as well get a little gnarly about it. Say, it's, it's, not, it's not happening on my watch. Stretch forth your hands, you guys, towards this table. God, I'm asking for an encounter today. I'm asking that you would awaken our spirits today, awaken our minds, awaken the fear of the Lord inside of us. And today as we come to this table, we are centered and we are reminded of this right here, that because of the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, that because the Holy Spirit has been poured out, because of the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, we can stand. Having done all to stand, therefore we can stand. Because of this, Jesus, you've not left us as victims. You've not left us powerless. What you did secured something in the spirit realm that you said, now all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go, I give you authority. And so God, I pray right now today, I pray for a breakthrough even at the table of the living God. As we eat of the flesh of Jesus, as we drink of the blood of Jesus, I am asking that even right now, God, something would be broken off of our lives, that you would usher us into victory, that you would strengthen us that you would bolster our faith, oh God, in the name of Jesus. Friends, come on up to the table. You can exit on the left of every row. Receive the body, receive the blood, receive the pronouncement. Take that back to your seats and we'll take it together.
Church, we're going to need some more people to volunteer as communion attendants up here. <laughs> it's beautiful. So beautiful. Beautiful. Holy Spirit activity right now, even here at this moment. <clears throat> as you were coming forward, I was reminded where the scripture says that he's come to set the captives free. All right, so here's the gospel very clearly in a nutshell. That when Adam and Eve disobeyed, they became powerless captives to the enemy. All of humanity has been living as captives. Captives to the will of the enemy. And friends, listen, Jesus Christ is a warrior. Amen. He is a warrior. He is a warrior. Like, I don't know what your vision or version of Jesus is, but he's not some small, puny, laissez-faire, passive man. There is a righteous, holy, affectionate love. He is a warrior, and he is fighting for you, and he is empowering you to fight for him and to fight for the things that matter in your life. So when Jesus came and he laid his life willingly down, it was the greatest act of spiritual warfare this planet has ever experienced. And he defeated, he defeated Satan. And Satan has no legal authority over your life because of this, because of the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. On the night when Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he says, this is my body broken for you. Friends, break that in your hand and let us take and receive the body of Christ. In the same manner, he took the cup and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant that is made available to you by my blood. This blood is more powerful than any agent in heaven or earth, friends. It has the power to cleanse you from everything that you've ever done or not done. The power to cleanse your mind, to break generational cycles of sin, to destroy and obliterate curses. The blood of Jesus is greater. Let us receive today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Friends, let me read a couple of announcements to you before we sing the doxology. And let me encourage you. We have these altar ministers and prayer ministers that are up here. Kevin Gutman, who oversees this ministry, came up to me before serving. He says, Pastor, he goes, these people are ready with a word every week. So listen, even if you just need a prophetic word of encouragement, maybe you just need a scripture. Maybe you just need faith to be injected into you. Maybe you need someone to stand with you for something that's going on, a battle that you're facing. Friends, we have people here who are just, they're like drooling. They're like salivating to pray over someone, right? They're like slobbering dogs. That's what our football coach says. Defensive linemen be slobbering dogs, right? These guys are ready to attack the enemy on your behalf. All right, here's a couple of announcements that we're going to sing our doxology and be dismissed. Number one, men, this is our final retreat, our final push for men's retreat. When's our last day, Jonathan, to sign up? Is it today? Tomorrow. All right, I'd love to see as many guys up there as possible. I promise you, you won't be the same. Like some, God has something for you if you can make it up there, up the hill. And then finally, uh, we're going to be participating with City Serve with Cause I Love You. It's the first weekend of October, and you can sign up. There's dozens of slots available at causeiloveyou.com. And, man, I commission you and encourage you to just be released to bless the city. That's who we are yeah. at New Life Midtown. Amen? Amen? Let's give thanks to the Lord. hands raised all across this room, I pray that the God of strength and the God of victory, that the mighty one, the Lord, the one who summons the heavens and the earth would be near to you this week. 
I pray that whatever battle that you find yourself in, that you're facing, that he would be strong on your behalf, that his mighty right hand would be upon you, that he would break the back of the wicked one, that he would strike the jaw and break the teeth of the enemy on your behalf, that he would go before you and that he would hem you in and that he would train your hands for battle and your fingers for war. They would cause your feet to be like the hind feet of a deer, that he sets you in high places and that he emboldens you with power and faith and strength and love. And I pray it today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you guys.